Hey everyone, welcome to the Faith Chapel Podcast. We are so glad to have you join us. Faith Chapel exists to help people follow Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, and be on mission with Jesus. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. If you have any questions about who we are or what you hear, you can visit faithchapel.cc or email podcast at faithchapel.cc. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Hey, my name's Evan, and uh, if we haven't met, I'm so glad that you're here. I get the privilege of being the young adult pastor here at Faith Chapel, and uh, whether you're watching online or in the room, I'm glad that you made time for church this weekend. We're continuing a series entitled Campfire Stories, and we've been walking through different parables of Jesus, and this is how we framed it, is that these are stories with intent, that Jesus used these really poignant, unique stories to, to tell lessons, to teach his disciples and his followers. And I think one of the most incredible things about Jesus is that lessons that he taught thousands of years ago are still just as relevant to our lives today as they would have been for the disciples then. Uh, I don't know where you're at, and I don't know if you've joined us for this series, but this series has been really challenging for me. I grew up in the church, and I've heard these stories so many different times, and I feel like the Lord has convicted me every single week on something that I need to work on, which is kind of the point of church, right? We don't come here to pat ourselves on the back. We come to learn. We come to grow. We come to be challenged, and my prayer is that that is true this weekend as well. This weekend, we're going to talk about prayer. And prayer has always been something that I have really struggled with in my walk with Jesus. Even though I've been following him for the majority of my life, prayer is just something that I would never say, like, I got it figured out. And I think that it's important that that sometimes it can be easy to look at somebody teaching from a stage and be like, well, they must have this subject figured out. And I don't think that that's ever the case. I don't think Nate would ever say that he has every single part of uh, what he's teaching figured out in his life. And I definitely know this weekend that is not the case. I am a man in process that is trying to follow Jesus just like you are. So we're gonna dive into some scripture together and we're gonna be in the gospel of Luke. But before we do that, I think it's probably good that we pray first. So let's do that. Jesus, thanks for this weekend. Thanks for a community of people to get together with, to dig into your word, to learn something new from. Lord, would your Holy Spirit just invade this place? Would you teach us something that we didn't know before? Would you remind us of something that we've forgotten? Uh, Would you just make yourself known to us in new and relevant ways this weekend? We love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So in this room, or if you're watching online, we're made up of a lot of different people with a lot of different journeys, and that's also true of our prayer life. That some of us would say, no, like, I feel like I have my prayer life figured out. Like, I have really good rhythm. I have really good routine. It's something that I go to regularly. Like, it is second nature for me to pray about situations. I know that there are people that I admire so much, like spiritual giants in my life, and one of the things that makes them somebody that I admire so much is, be- is the fact that they do pray. That is a huge part of their lives. There's a lot of us who are in process and would say like, yeah, some days are good, some days are bad, some weeks are good, some weeks I forget to pray. And there are other of us, uh, others of us who, who are in the room who are like, what's a prayer life? Like, I don't even really know what it means to pray. I don't know how I would even start doing that. And one of the most beautiful things about a community, one of the most beautiful things about Jesus is that there's room at the table for all of us, that no matter where we find ourselves this morning, that we are people who who have have had room made for us. And so we get to learn and grow together. But the truth is, is that prayer can be a struggle. It can just be a struggle 
And yet Jesus makes it really clear that there are different ways for us to pray and that the call is in fact to do just that. So before we jump into the actual passage, let's set the stage for just a second. The first four verses of Luke uh, chapter 11 um, are the Lord's Prayer. It's the most famous prayer of all time. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably heard the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That can't, I'm not gonna say the whole thing. But we've heard the Lord's Prayer, right? And it's this beautiful, beautiful framework. And if you need somewhere to start, I would encourage you, start there. But we're talking about parables. So we're gonna, we're gonna stay on assignment and we're gonna look at the parable that Jesus tells right after the Lord's Prayer. And I think, it's, I think it speaks to the fact that Jesus says this, gives this framework of what it means to pray. And then he says, but let me tell you a story because he knew that the disciples needed to connect to it on a personal level. So what I'd like to do today is read the entire parable and the lesson that follows, and then we'll jump back in and we'll pull out some key takeaways. So we're gonna be in Luke chapter 11, verses five through 13. It says, he also said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So this is where the lesson comes. Jesus is saying to the disciples, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So this passage is only nine verses long, but there are plenty of things uh, that we can talk about. The first being that Jesus lays out two ways that God is represented. First, he's represented as the friend. Now, I obviously can't speak for everyone, but many of us, myself included, it might not be our natural tendency to think of God as a friend. That when we think of God, we think of this big cosmic being, this, this holy God who is up there while we are down here. And there is this detachment that is happening when our perception is that. What Jesus is trying to communicate to the disciples is that God is approachable. Because when we believe that God is up there and we are down here, what we lose is the practicality and the intimacy of relationship. That we start to see God as separated from rather than living life with us. And what we want to have in our prayer life is the, is the desire to approach someone that we are in intimate relationship with. And Jesus is communicating that, that God is that. We don't have to hesitate to approach him. Now, before we go any further, it's important to give a little cultural context to, to this situation. That the laws of hospitality in the Middle East at the time would have indicated that that he should have an expectation that his friend was going to help him. It would say that if a traveler came in need of shelter or sustenance, there was an expectation that you would help. 
Second, it's important that we understand that this guy's not living in a three-bedroom, two-bath house, and his friend isn't coming to the front door and sending a text and saying, hey, are you awake right now? I need a couple things from you. He's knocking on the door of a house that is probably a one-bedroom home where this man and his children are sleeping together in a single room on the floor on the mat. And then lastly, Jesus makes it really clear that he's coming at midnight. He says a friend approached him at midnight Nothing about the situation is convenient. Nothing about the situation is like, oh, hey, I ran into you and and I just need something from you. That there's something happening in this that is not convenient at all. And yet, the man has an expectation that his friend is going to help him. One, he knew the customs. He knew the laws of hospitality because if someone was to come him like his friend did, he was supposed to figure out a way to help him. Secondly, he knew his friend. He believed that he would obey those laws of hospitality, that he would be faithful to what was expected of him. He knew that a solution would be provided. Even if he didn't have something to offer the traveler, he knew somebody who did. And Jesus is trying to communicate a couple things through this parable. One, we get to anticipate the goodness and the kindness of God. We get to anticipate the goodness and the kindness of God. Sometimes we hesitate because there's this fear in us that God will not be kind to our requests. But he has promised that he is for us and he has promised that he is with us and we get to have a holy expectancy of God. And I know that that can sound a little bit entitled and we never wanna be entitled in our faith. We never wanna go to God and say, hey, you're gonna do this for me. But holy expectancy is a dedicated expectancy that has nothing to do with who we are. It has everything to do with who he is. That we have to have the the frame of reference to understand that while we have done nothing, Jesus gave everything. That Jesus came and died a death that we could not die and gave forgiveness that we could not attain on our own. And what that does for us is it gives us permission to enter into the throne room of God and have an expectancy that God will prove to be who he says he is. That it has nothing to do with who we are and everything to do with who Jesus is. Secondly, what we have to offer will never be enough. And that's okay because he is enough. We have a friend in God who is available to us at any time, even midnight. That he is not limited to time or space. He is not limited to the four walls of a church. Oftentimes we can say, I can't wait to get to church so that I can send up my prayers. You don't have to wait for Sunday. And he's certainly not limited by who we are. Unfortunately, one of our human tendencies is to start to think about all of the fallibility of who we are, all of the brokenness in our own lives, and we start to disqualify ourselves. And we say, well, I can't pray because if God only knew, he, he does, he knows. And it's such a small vision of God to think that who we are could handcuff what he is able to do in our lives. He's God, we are not. And yes, we are broken, and yes, we are messy, And we're never going to be enough, but he is. What Jesus did on the cross stamped us as beloved. And as we sang in several of the songs this morning, he calls us his children. We have been given permission to approach him with our prayers. 
The Gospel of James says, um, the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. And I agree with that 100%. Here's the problem, is that sometimes we read scripture like that and we read it this way. The prayers of a perfect person are powerful and effective. And I don't know about you, but I don't think there's any perfect people in the room. And if there are no perfect people, then does that mean that none of our prayers are powerful and effective? No. It says the prayer of a righteous person. And what we understand from scripture is that we do not make ourselves righteous. The reason that we can become righteous is because of the blood of Christ and the blood of Christ alone. That he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one will come to the Father except through him. But he did come, and he did give us the opportunity to become righteous. And that means that we get to present our prayers and our petitions to God on a regular basis. If we have the mentality that, oh, if, if I don't sin for X amount of days, then my prayers will be effective, we are in trouble. Because every single one of us could look at our lives and go like, yeah, I haven't been sin-free for about mm, 35 minutes, so I guess my prayers got to wait. That's not prayer. We get to be people who understand that even in the midst of our brokenness, even in the midst of our imperfection, we still get to offer up our prayers, not because of who we are, but because of what Jesus has done, because he has given us direct access to God. It's not permission for us to live in sin. It's not permission for us to not try to become more like Jesus each and every day, but it's permission to lean into the grace of God to lean in the grace of Jesus and say, because of him, I get to pray every day. Now, before we move on to the second way that God is represented in this passage, we have to point out something really important about this parable. Is that the man who is petitioning his friend isn't petitioning on behalf of himself, but of actually another friend. And it's a reminder to us that our prayer life shouldn't just be about us. Oftentimes our prayer life can become selfish And all we think about is what's going on in our lives. But we are called to be people who follow Jesus. We petition on behalf of other people, people who we have intimate relationship, people who we have secondhand relationship with, people who we don't even know, but we know that they are going through crisis. We are people who are not supposed to just pray about our own lives and our own circumstances, but the circumstances of other people. This was uh, really modeled for me just a couple weeks ago. Shane mentioned this uh, before uh, we started that, that it's camp season and I get to be up at camp a lot in the summer. Uh, my family's up there for about six weeks through the summer and people are like, how do you do it? And I'm like, how do I live in the mountains for six weeks? Pretty easy, it's awesome. Um, my kids are kind of feral by the end of the summer. They're like digging through the volleyball court and they come back with like mud in their face. And I'm like, you know what? It's camp, it's fine, just do whatever you want. But I'm up there a lot. And a week two of junior high, I came back down the mountain to preach at Young Adults on a Tuesday night. And I came into the offices and one of the guys said, hey, I thought you were up at camp. And I said, I am, but I had to come back for this. And he's like, hey, I just really specifically want to ask, how are the counselors doing? And I said, hey, you know what it's like to counsel at camp, right? He's like, I do. I was like, so peaks and valleys. (laughs) Like there's really good things that are happening, really bad things that they're having to deal with, really hard things, deep things. There's spiritual warfare, all kinds of stuff going on. And I always tell people, um, if you're thinking about counseling, do it. It will change your life forever. I promise it changed mine. But you remember what it was like to have roommates. Um, Imagine that there was 10 of them and they were all 12 
and that you are having to tell them about Jesus. Like, it's, it's a hard task. I'm convinced that being a counselor at camp is the hardest job at camp. Even as a camp director, I'm like, no, you have the hardest job here. And, and he knows that. And so he's like, hey, would you let them know I'm praying for them? And I said, yeah, I'll definitely let them know that. So we'll go through the rest of the afternoon, get to young adults on a Tuesday night. And there was a couple people that, of our young adults that counseled at week one. So they came up and said, how are the counselors doing? And I said, hey, you counseled last week. How are they doing? And he said, they're probably doing great and bad all at the same time. And they need prayer. And I was like, you're right. And then he said, will you let them know I'm praying for you? And I said, I will. So the next morning I was back up the mountain. We're in our counselor meeting. And I just said, hey, you guys got to know people are praying for you. And several different people came up to me, but one girl came up and she said, hey, it's really, really powerful to know that people are petitioning on our behalf, just like we're petitioning on behalf of our students. And I said, yeah, that is amazing. You see, when we step out of our own human existence, we become people who, who look at other people's lives and we lift them up in prayer. And when we collectively do that, man, things change. We, the power in a collective community's prayer is so amazing. You see, prayer is powerful for us, but it's also powerful through us. And we get to be a conduit for God's grace and God's deliverance in the lives of other people. The second way that God is represented in the story by Jesus is the Father. Now this representation is probably more common for us to think about, especially we grew up in church. There's something that we can see the correlation between uh, God the, and the Father because there's authority and, and there's, there's power, there's all kinds of these things, but we're all human and we all have different human experiences with our dads and some of us are dads and we understand how imperfect we are. See, whether you had a good dad like I did or you had an absent father or a bad dad, our human experience starts to create this really messy perspective of what it means for God to be the father. And Jesus understood that because he says, even you who are evil or wicked, like you want good things for your kids, but, but God is perfect. Like God the father, my father is perfect. And he wanted to communicate that to the disciples because he also said, even in the midst of your brokenness, even in the midst of your humanity as, as fathers, as, as people who have fathers, you want the best for your kids. You want the absolute best for your kids. I know that for me, like I've got three incredible kids and I would do anything. I would go to the ends of the earth to make sure that they were happy, to make sure that they were secure, that they were provided for. And I also understand this, is that as a dad, I have power. I could just say, we're going to Pizza Ranch for lunch. I just changed their whole week, just in one moment, just like that. I've got power. But you see, God has power to change everything about our lives. See, one of the beautiful things about thinking about God as a friend is the intimacy and the practicality, the accessibility to him. But I think one of the beautiful things about seeing God as the father is recognizing the power and the authority that he has in our lives. The first mention of God being our father in the book of Exodus, God is having this conversation with Moses and he's telling him, hey, this is what you're gonna do. You're gonna go to Pharaoh and you're gonna have a conversation and you're gonna, you're gonna release the, the nation of Israel from captivity. And this is what you're gonna say. In Exodus chapter four, verse 22, he says, and you will say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. It's the first time that God has identified himself as the father of the nation of Israel. And from that point forward, to call on God the Father was to call on the God of the Exodus, the liberator, the 
deliverer, the answer. To call on God the Father was to say, you can handle everything that I cannot handle. Yes, we are supposed to bring the little things in our daily lives to God, but also we need to bring, bring the big things that we have absolutely no control over. That addiction, that trauma, that broken relationship, that thing that we did, that thing that was done to us, the thing that we have no control over, the outcome. We get to bring that before God. We get to bring that before the Father. When we are able to see God as both friend and Father, we see this big, cosmic, world-changing God who is more than willing to step into the intimate details of our lives. So we need to be able to see God as friend and as Father. Here's the thing, though. We have to do more than just believe that these things are true. We have to actively participate in bringing our prayers before God because the question is not whether or not he is available. He always is. He has promised to always be available. The question is whether or not we are going to be willing to present those prayers, those grievances, those, those thanksgivings, all of those things. Are we going to be able to be willing to present those before God on a regular basis? What I'd love to do is spend the rest of our time talking about how we pray. And please hear me, there's no one size fits all on how we pray. We all have different preferences in our own lives. We all have different schedules. But no matter what the preference is, no matter what your schedule is, the call is the same. We are supposed to pray. There are numerous uh, passages about prayer throughout Scripture. I just want to look at four really quick. The first one, 1 Thessalonians says this, Rejoice always and pray constantly. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Philippians says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Ephesians says, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. And then the psalmist says, because he has turned his ear to me, I will call out to him as long as I live. The call is to pray, and the story gives a specific encouragement. Ask, seek, knock. <coughs> we can ask for what we need. We can ask for what we need. When we have needs or wants in our lives, we get to step into a, a conversation with God and say, this is what's going on. I need to ask for you to show up in this way. I, I need this right now. When we, we can seek the heart of God, we can seek to see people the way that he sees people and hear people the way that he hears people and see situations the way that he sees them. We get to seek the will and the heart of the Father. And we can knock when we need new revelation or we need new doors to be opened in our lives. And how does Jesus say that those things will be answered? Receive, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. In our asking and in our seeking and in our knocking, we can expect God to respond. That this relationship that we are in is active. Here's the thing though, the response might not always be what we want and the response might not always be what we expect. 
that when we ask for things that we have to have the frame of mind to, to know that, that we might not always get what we want. That, that we might ask for something and God might give us what we ask for or he might not or he might just say not yet. And when we seek the heart of God, when we seek to see people the way that God sees people or see situations the way that God sees them, we better prepare ourselves to be a little bit uncomfortable. Because if we ask to see people the way that God sees people, then the people that we have prejudices against, the people that we have judgments against, he's gonna be saying, hey, you asked. You said, let me see people the way that you see people. Now you need to go spend some time with them. You need to see them the way that I see them. And when we ask or when we knock for doors to be opened, we have to realize that some old doors probably are gonna have to be shut. And then if we're asking for new revelation in our lives, then, then the things that we've held dearly, the beliefs that we have and, and all of the different perspectives that we have, we need to hold them loosely in our hands and say, you take these. If I want new revelation, I want it to be yours, not mine. But we get the opportunity to actively do that because here's the thing about asking and seeking and knocking. It's not just a one-time thing. It's to be done continuously. See, in the story that Jesus is telling. He says that the friend doesn't get up just because he's his friend. He tells him to go away. But because of his shameless boldness, he gets up and gives him everything that he needs. That's that holy expectancy. That's us stepping into relationship with God and and being bold in our prayers and being persistent in our prayers, that that would be a, a, a marker of our prayer life, that they are persistent and consistent. We just read a bunch of prayer or a bunch of scriptures to talk about prayer being constant. Pray about everything constantly, continuously. There's a theme throughout scripture. Be bold in your prayer life. Be persistent in your prayer life. Be consistent in your prayer life. Lastly, our prayer lives need to be both habitual and spontaneous. Our prayer lives need to be both habitual and spontaneous. Daily intercession with Jesus is the goal, but not so that we can check any kind of spiritual or religious box. Like if you like to get a hot cup of coffee, amen, I love getting a hot cup of coffee too, and finding your spot at a specific time of the day, like that's fantastic but your journal and your Bible and your cozy blanket isn't the call. It's about making sure that you are in daily conversation with God and not to feel good about yourself, but to build a spiritual muscle of prayer that would say, if I can do it now, then in the moment, it's gonna be second nature for me to go to prayer instead of panic. You see, a habit of prayer is so good because there are too many things to pray about. There's too many things to pray about to just wait until, hey, when that comes up, when that situation happens, then when I think about it, I'll pray about it. There's too many things to pray about. We have friends and we have family and we have church leaders to pray for and government leaders to pray for and there's crises all over the world and there's the HOA meeting that you don't wanna go to and the bake sale that you don't wanna bake for and there's just a million different things that you just need to pray for patience and, and revelation and all these different things and if you just wait until the moment they're not gonna get prayed for. There's too many things to pray for to wait until they come up. And spontaneous prayer is incredibly important because life is too complex and it is too unpredictable. That there are certain things that can't wait until tomorrow morning's prayer session where we have to pray for them right now. But it's not one or the other. 
One does not outweigh the other. We need both. There's a woman in our church who I've gotten the privilege of knowing for pretty much my entire life. She's absolutely incredible. And she was known for having a prayer list. We probably all know someone who has a prayer list. But she had this like little steno notebook that had the spirals on top that was like, she looked like a reporter all the time. She was just walking around writing in her prayer list. And she, she just had done that for, for decades. This is what she did. She just wrote her prayers down. She didn't want to forget those things. And about six years ago, we were in the process of our adoption with our middle daughter, Zara, from Ethiopia. And our adoption story got really, really out of whack and crazy because we said that we would take an HIV positive child and Zara's biological mother had HIV when she was born. So it was like very, very high likelihood that she had HIV too. And so they said you would, they, they, they called us and they said, you said you would take an HIV positive child. We have this uh, 18 month old girl. Will you take her? And we said, yes. And they said, that's great. All your deadlines have been pushed forward. And we were in our 20s and we didn't have the money that we needed and we needed a significant amount of money in 10 days. And we didn't know what to do, but we knew that God had called us to this. And so we started praying and we had a community of people that started praying for us and I was out in the atrium and this woman came up to me and she, and she said, hey, how are you? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm doing good. Like this is kind of the situation that's going on. And uh, I said, hey, do you think that I could make it on your prayer list? And I like just trying to like plead my case to make the prayer list. And she said, uh, Evan, of course you can be on the prayer list, but I want to pray for you right now. So this woman who's almost 50 years older than me and a third my size <laughs> decided to lay her hands on me and prayed the most powerful, bold, expectant prayer I think I've ever heard in my life. And the peace of God that I had not felt in weeks because of how stressed out we were just washed over me. And God showed up. Money was raised. Our daughter was brought home. She was HIV free. Like God showed up in so many different ways. And I think it's because prayers like hers these bold, expectant prayers that would call the God of the Exodus, the God who would deliver, who would liberate, who would rescue, to come and show up in big, massive ways. And she was living proof of a truth that I think that we need to know, is that if we can have a habit of prayer in the calm of our lives, we will become people of prayer in the chaos of them. Scripture makes it really, really clear that in this life, we will face trials of many kinds. There will be lots of struggles. But my hope is that collectively and individually, we could become people who don't struggle with prayer, but who struggle in prayer. That we, inevitably, when the struggle comes, when, when the trial comes, that our first response is, I need to get into prayer in the midst of this struggle and understand that I can call on my friend and my father to show up in ways that I cannot show up myself. If we build a habit of prayer in the calm, we will become people of prayer in the chaos. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thanks for this place. Thanks for this family. 
Thanks for giving us direct access to you, Lord. We, we don't have words to express what it means to be able to approach the God who hung the stars in the sky for each of, each of our individual lives. And we know that you wanna show up in big, big ways. You wanna deliver, you, want, you wanna be the liberator, but you also wanna step into the intimate parts of our daily lives and say, yeah, I care about that too. So Jesus, would we have new revelation? Would we see people the way that you see people? Would we not hesitate to step into your throne room and say, we have free access to you, so I'm gonna take this every single day. And would we be bold and persistent and consistent in our prayers, understanding that we are gonna change very little in this world, but you could change everything. We need you, we love you, and we are thankful that you love messy, broken people like us. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. We hope that this helps you take your next step on your spiritual journey. If you'd like to get involved with the work and ministry of Faith Chapel, visit faithchapel.cc and click on Next Steps. If you'd like to speak to a pastor or connect with us in any way, email connect at faithchapel.cc. We look forward to connecting with you soon.